Now, many of us, if you've been with us for any time for the past six weeks or so, we've, we've been in the book of Revelation. Particularly, we've been in this book and we've been looking at the, the seven churches. Now, we think when we look at these books, we have this tendency to think that these problems of the churches were of the past. And that's not necessarily true because many of those same problems are in the present today because there are still many churches and people who are sitting in the churches who desperately need to fall in love with Jesus all over again. There are many churches who are struggling with idolatry. There are many churches who are going through persecution. And just like the church that we're going to talk about this morning, there are many churches that appear to be awake, who appear to be alive. But in fact, they've fallen asleep and and many of them are already dead. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the church at Sardis. Now, this particular church was a big church. It was part of the church of, of Asia Minor. And these churches were probably only 60 to 70 miles apart from one another. And so this morning as we begin, I want to show you in the Bible three instances where God's people fell asleep. And then I want to talk to you about when the people begin to not be watchful and and they're not alert. And in this particular church, that they had begun to doze off and fell asleep in what Jesus had to say to this particular church. Now, if you've got your Bibles, will you turn to Matthew 26? Matthew 26, we're going to look at verses 36 through 45. This particular uh, story in the Bible, and you're very familiar with it. Jesus is in the upper room. He had just broken the news to the disciples that he was going to be handed over to the authority. In less than 36 hours, Jesus would be uh, handed over. He would go through a fake mock trial, and he would be crucified, and he would be buried. And I know the disciples, when they heard this news from Jesus, I think some of them were confused, and some of them were maybe even afraid. So Jesus gets his disciples and he says, listen, let's go to the Garden of Gethsemane, the place where he had been many times. He said, we're going to go there and we're going to pray. I want you to listen, beginning in verse 36. It said, Jesus then came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he told his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee with him. And he began to be grieved and distressed, and he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved, even to the point of death. Remain here with me. Keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them, and he fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching, keep praying, so that you don't come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time, and he prayed, saying, My father, if this cup cannot pass away unless I drink from it, your will be done. Again he came, and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. 
And he left them again. And he went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. Behold, the one who is betraying me is near. And so Jesus, he he goes to this place of prayer because he is distraught and he wants to spend time with the Father. And so he takes these disciples, there's 12, but he tells these nine, I want you to stay here. And that here is in the outside of the garden. But he takes Peter, James, and John into the inner garden and he tells them, watch and pray. But then Jesus, he, he comes back and he finds Peter... James and John sleeping. Now, I don't know why he didn't take all nine into the inner garden. Maybe he just knew they weren't going to pray. But I think Jesus really expected them all to, particularly Peter, James, and John. But when he comes back, he finds out that even the elite, Peter, James, and John, they're not watching and they're not praying. And the reason that is because they had let their physical needs, their desire to be comfortable, overpower their desire to obey him. And they fell asleep. What happened in the garden that night has happened in the church today. Many disciples have found a comfortable place within their church and they've dozed off. They no longer watch for things that make them stumble. They're no longer watching. They're no longer praying. They've left much of the praying to the prayer team. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, Behold, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. Behold, the one who is betraying me is near. All of us particularly today, should be alert. We should be watching, making sure that that we're not being overtaken by the schemes of the devil. The disciples in the garden that night never saw the enemy coming because they were sleeping. They were sound asleep, just like the next people in the next parable. So turn back to, to Matthew 13. We're going to look at 24 through 30. 24 through 30. In this particular chapter, Jesus speaks almost entirely in parables. Now, when Jesus taught, just like in many churches today, there are people who really wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. But there were also people who were in hearing distance who were curious, but they really weren't committed to Christ. And so Jesus spoke in parables, not just to confuse the people, but he wanted to illustrate a truth through a word picture. So listen to what this parable says. Another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept... His enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? 
How then does it have tares? He said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said, do you want us to then go out and gather them up? He said, no. Because if you gather them up with the tares, you'll also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Now, Jesus taught in these parables so people will be able to hear with their spiritual ears. In this particular parable, Jesus is the man who sowed the good seed. The field is the kingdom of God. The wheat that he's talking about are the true believers. The tares are those people who are not yet believers, or maybe they're just simply religious people. If you know anything about this particular parable, and if you know anything about tares and wheat, that people sometimes can appear as one thing, but they're really another. In the beginning, tares, when they first come up, they're really indistinguishable between wheat and tares. And it's the same way in churches. People who say they know Christ... And people who come to church and are religious can do many of the same things. They look the same. They sound the same. But Jesus says that that there is a difference. Jesus even said that, that these tares, these people, can actually grow along with the true wheat. It can actually grow. And I will tell you, why did God allow, or why is there, tears in the church. It is my belief that the enemy sows tares in the church to do a couple things. One is to reduce the harvest of souls. Because people who really aren't saved, they don't have this desire to reach the lost. And when someone doesn't have the desire to reach the lost, it kind of wears off on other people, doesn't it? It wears off on others and that begins to hinder the work of God. I'm not much for for illustration because I really like to stick close to the word. But I I don't know if many of y'all know me, but I love a pretty lawn. I spend a lot of time working in my yard, uh, fertilizing, and a lot of money in the same way. But as I did this message, I began to think about what I just went through this year. I did a total lawn renovation. And if you've ever done that, I would advise you not to do it. Because it's just a lot of work. It is. I killed my whole yard in July with Roundup. My entire yard after 20-something years. It looked like a burnover field. I finally got the guts to do it one day. And then when I started, I started. But here's what had happened. Over the years of fertilizing and mowing, I came to this realization. I've got too many weeds in my lawn. From a distance, my yard looked awesome. There was people who would stop and say, hey, how do you get your yard to look like that? I said, a lot of time and a lot of money. My yard looked great. It looked really green and it looked healthy. But if you really look close, it was obvious. It was mostly weeds. And that didn't happen overnight. But the fact is, it did happen. Because I wasn't paying attention in the same way when we let tares 
grow in the church, or particularly we let tares grow in our lives, eventually the tares will crowd out the wheat. That's what normally happens. And when we allow those things into the church and we allow those things into our life, the church begins to look a lot like the world. When there's less true wheat, I said believers, or when the wheat is really not awake and they're not paying attention, other weeds begin to infiltrate our lives. And also in the church, things like false teaching, sin, and even apathy. Now the next scripture tells us the results of a church who let such things happen and they had begun to fall asleep. So in Revelations 3... 1 through 6. It's the church of Sardis. Now this particular church set really high on this embankment, about 1,500 feet high. And so this church, when you looked at it, it looked like it was unscalable. It looked like it was impregnable, meaning that no one could get to it. These people were so proud of their city. And they were so proud of their church, but rightly so. But after 100 years, there was very little evidence of this church and its formal glory because they had become careless. They had become comfortable. They quit looking, they quit watching, and they quit praying. And so Jesus has something to say to them concerning its present condition. This church had gotten to the place that they were on spiritual life support. Here's what it says. To the angel of the church of Sardis write, These are the words of the one who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but yet you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains, which was about to die. For I have found your deeds incomplete in the sight of God. Remember then what you have received And what you have heard, keep it and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and and you will not know the hour when I will come upon you. But you do have a few people in Sardis who have not sold their garments. And because they are worthy, they will walk with me in white. Like them, he who overcomes will be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, I can imagine that this particular church was surprised when they got this letter. I mean, after all, they had this reputation. They had built for themselves a winning brand. But Jesus comes and he gives them this stinging rebuke because he's telling them, you begin to lose your way. Jesus says this, I know your deeds. And he says this, and I think in just about every letters, every letter that he wrote, when you look at this church, by all measurements, this Sardis church was a popular church. And Sardis churches today are popular. It's where things are happening. They got the really nice facilities, the cool music, all the programs that you'd ever want for your kids. And on the inside... And even on the outside, it looked like it was alive. 
Just like today, the church of Sardis. Most of Sardis's best days were, were now behind them, and, and they were living on their reputation. They had gotten comfortable with who they were, and they had fallen asleep. You know, I think in the same way, like this church of Sardis. People and children of God can get so comfortable with their relationship with God that they begin to fall asleep. Jesus always told us, stay awake, be alert, be watchful. You can get to a place in your relationship with God that you can just become so comfortably numb that you'll just doze off. Just like the disciples in the garden. They never saw the enemy coming because they weren't paying attention. And the same thing can can happen to us. We won't see the enemy encroaching upon our life because we're busy looking and doing other things. Jesus tells them, wake up and strengthen what remains, which was about to die. You know, Jesus was gracious enough to love enough to give this sober warning. He says, wake up. Wake up. You've gotten too comfortable. You're, you're falling asleep. How many times in your life has Jesus had to shake you and wake you up out of your sleep and out of your slumber? He does it because he loves us. He does it because we need the correction. And as painful and as sobering as it may be, it really is a demonstration of God's love for us. He goes on to tell this particular church, I have found your deeds incomplete in the sight of God. When we first read this, we may have a tendency to think that that this church is getting an approval appraisal. Where Where they stand. That's not what he's saying. He's actually telling them, listen, you got something going on that don't need to be going on. Be aware. Be awake. You see, Jesus knew Not just what they were doing, but why they were doing it. See, we can do many good things for God. But just like these people, they were doing a lot of good things for God. But I believe it had been a long time, probably, since they asked anything from God. See, you can be so busy going through the motions, going to church, that you can forget all about this personal loving relationship with Jesus. We can do that. Many times, it seems like the longer that we are Christians, that we have a tendency to get lazy and to get comfortable. We can do many things that we do out of duty instead of devotion to Him. We can do things out of habit or even out of our traditions. And our deeds can be incomplete because many of the things that we can do after time, that, that they're not being done by faith. And y'all know the scripture, right? That faith without works is dead. Well, so is works without faith. Those two things go, go hand in hand. We can just continue to go through the motions. And what had happened in this church is that they had been doing it so long. They had gotten so comfortable that the Holy Spirit wasn't leading them anymore. There's a never a time in our life... When we think we've arrived, that we don't need the Holy Spirit in our life. Sometimes we can do things out of expectation. That's why we do them. 
Many of y'all, if you've ever been with someone who has died at that moment of death, and you've seen the, the spirit leave the body, you can tell it's gone, can't you? It's the same way within a church. When we're doing things out of expectations, habits, or our traditions, and we're not trusting the Holy Spirit, it's just like dying. Because the Spirit leaves the church. And when the Spirit leaves the church, the church starts to die, doesn't it? That's what happens. Now, I was talking to Chris, I guess it maybe was last week, and I was kind of sharing with him my message and I said, man, I don't really, what I really want to say about doing things in the church and not having Jesus. And here's what he said. He said, there are things that are done in the name of Jesus are not a substitute for Jesus. Things done in the name of Jesus are not a substitute for Jesus. Now, there are people who come to church week after week after week after week. They're doing good things. They're doing things that Christians should do. But many of them don't even have a relationship with God. Or the relationship that they have now is somehow waned. It's not the same. Jesus says, remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. You may be here and you may ask yourself this morning, God, Bill, why do I feel like I'm dying? Why don't I feel like I'm alive anymore? I think Jesus tells us. Because I think what happens over time, we, we can forget what we heard. We can forget what we needed. Do you remember when you first heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? And you heard about this extravagant love. Do you remember that? Do you remember it like it was yesterday? Or has it began to kind of wane? Do you remember that when you first heard this gospel... The good news of grace that you would do anything to please him. You would do anything. You were in love with the person of Jesus, not working for Jesus. But you saw Jesus working in everything, including your life. And you saw him because you expected to see him. You were looking, you were watching, you were expecting him to show up. You knew how much you needed him in everything of your life. You weren't comfortable because this was new territory for you. And he was always there. What happens sometimes when we're not praying and we're not watching and we're not trusting the Holy Spirit that you'll eventually stop looking for him in your life. Or you'll expect him to show up in a certain way in your life that, that pleases you. In a certain way that pleases you. And as time goes on, you can begin even looking in a different direction. You're not even looking in the direction of Jesus any longer. You can become satisfied to serve him instead of seeking him. Eventually, what will happen when you get so comfortable in your relationship with God and within the church, you'll quit seeking him altogether. You'll look to other things. You know, I think the biggest enemy of Christians is the decision 
to do absolutely nothing. When you hear a message like this, that's the greatest danger. Because we can become so comfortable that we enjoy just resting in Jesus, enjoying the scenery. And you can think that you have arrived spiritually and that you're safe. Jesus says, listen, you may not know when I come back. I think we can get comfortable when we think that we know all there is to know about Jesus. And I will tell you this morning that there is no end to Jesus, but there'll be an end to you. There's no end to knowing all there is about God. He goes on to to say in verse 4, these people at Sardis didn't realize they had fallen asleep. Why didn't they they realize? Well, Jesus tells us why the church began to, to fall asleep. He tells them, that they sold their clothes. You say, well, what does that mean? The people in this particular church had began to be so comfortable and had began to fall asleep because they had allowed personal sin to begin to infiltrate their life. They never saw the enemy coming. They let things creep in over time and they didn't realize it. Before long, the influence of the world was influencing them. And that should never be. And they had began to to fall asleep. Now, you said, well, how did that happen in the church of Sardis? The same way it can happen here. A little bit of a time. You begin to compromise a little here, a little there. You begin to take a little risk with temptation. You stray away from God's word. You, You ignore his warnings. When comfortableness sets in, sin sets in. We'll say that again. When comfortableness sets in, Sin will set in. And so the real danger of falling asleep is falling into sin. Now, this church of Sardis made two mistakes. The first one, they thought activity equals spirituality, meaning that they were busy doing things and they thought that was spiritual. The other thing that they did that we have to be careful of is that we don't substitute Jesus as Savior And think the church is the Savior. Never think that the church is the Savior. It's Jesus. He's the only one. And just like those people in Sardis, they had forgotten who they were really in love with. And maybe you're here this morning and what started out as a movement in God in your life is now probably nothing more than a monument in your life. That it's not the way that it, that it used to be. Many of us can get so comfortable that all we're doing is just spiritually sleepwalking. We're just going through the motions. If that's you, I want to tell you first this morning, it's not too late and that God loves you. It's not too late. You may feel like the disciples in the garden. Lord, I fell asleep and, and I let you down. I don't know about you. I couldn't count how many times that I've let the Lord down and I've disappointed Him by something that I have done or that I haven't or maybe I failed to do. But Jesus loves us enough to tell us the truth. We think that the hardest thing is telling someone else the truth. The hardest thing in life is telling yourself the truth, isn't it? That's the hardest thing in life is to tell ourselves 
the truth about our condition. That's the hardest thing. But he promises that if we're honest with ourselves, that he'll awaken us and he'll lead us back to him. You say, well, Bill, I already feel like this morning I'm on spiritual life support and I'm just hanging on and, and I don't know what to do. Well, Jesus never condemns or corrects us without giving us uh, a thing to do to get us out of our circumstances. So here's what he says. He says, be watchful. I think being watchful means look at the, your really spiritual condition. Where, where are you really at? And so I would ask, and I have to ask myself, am I living my life with expectation as if Jesus is coming back? Or have I stopped looking for Jesus altogether? Now I'm just kind of rolling along. But then he tells us this. He says, strengthen what remains. He tells us to to take inventory of of what's left. See, you don't have to start over like I did with my lawn. The good news of Jesus is that we can begin again. He says, go back to your first love. And that means putting your relationship with Jesus first. Priority number one. He says, remember. I think the thing that we have to remember... When you first heard that gospel, the reason it felt like a cool drink of water and it was good going down because it was grace and it wasn't works. Grace will get you across the finish line. Works without the Holy Spirit and God helping you will tucker you out. You'll be tired. You won't finish the race well. And then he tells us to hold fast. Hang on. Sometimes we give up too easy. That we see what's happening in the world and in our life. He says, hang on. And we have to trust God's promises and reject what the world has to offer and trust His provision that He is enough. God is enough. And He finally tells us to repent. And He tells us in every Church, So you have to be willing to repent of your sin, of being comfortable, and your complacency. And he promises that if we do that, that he'll bring us back to him. He'll bring us back. Because I don't know about you, I always need to fall more and more and more in love with Jesus. That's what I need. That's what you need. And so if you're here this morning, you realize you've gotten too comfortable. Just be honest with yourself. You don't have to start over, but go back and just remember how good, how sweet was that sound. you remember? And you'll do things for God with the right heart and with the right motive and with the right power. And those things that you are always concerned about, God will begin moving those those things out of your life that don't belong there. And he'll begin to put things in your life that do belong there. Because you're a new creature. Don't run the risk of getting too comfortable and falling asleep. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you, God, that your word is, is true. I thank you, Lord, that you're always honest 
with your kids. Lord, we pray as leaders of this church, Lord, that we wouldn't be like Sardis. We wouldn't fall asleep at the wheel. But we would look and look for you. We would look to you in all things. We would live our life, Lord Jesus, like you were coming back, that we would stay watchful and, and we would be a people of prayer. And Lord, that when people encounter us, they would know that we'd been with Jesus, that we were his disciples. And so, God, I thank you for your spirit's power that enables us to do all these things in the name of Jesus. And Father, we thank you for that. Amen.